Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. So last week we got back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we saw some of these hillsiders who had been invited into the kingdom to live under God's rule, no matter what was going on in their life, uh, have this hope that Jesus offered, they took him up on it. So now Jesus sort of, instead of just addressing the crowd, is now addressing that group of people that said, we, we want in. And so he makes it clear right at the outset uh, that your life connected to me will be very different in every way. And at times that will make you offensive to people. And at times it will make you attractive. Sometimes you'll pay a very high price for being associated with me. And sometimes you'll make a real difference. So last week, we looked at what it means to be offensive, and this week and next, we'll spend some time thinking about what it means to be attractive, how we can have an impact. And it's kind of the theme for for our whole fall, helping us all regain a mindset around helping other people come to know Christ. Now, to describe the impact that Jesus envisions us having, he uses two metaphors, salt and light. The metaphors essentially do two things. They reveal the nature of kingdom life. Something about those two items say something about you, describe the nature of kingdom life, but they also tell you what your mission is in the kingdom. So both things. Now, salt and light are domestic elements, as the text will even point out. You you find them anywhere and everywhere, in any home. Everyday stuff, necessities that are useful, add a lot of value to life. They require a certain proximity You need to be, want to be, near light or in it. And salt requires contact. It's got to be on something or in something. And so out of that thought comes what I think are the two ways we're going to, maybe the two realities, two basic realities about life in the kingdom that we're going to talk about today. The first one is your everyday life is going to look completely different in the kingdom. And your presence anywhere and everywhere will make a difference. You will be different. And you will make a difference. So let's talk first of all about your everyday life. Uh, We'll go ahead and pull... 
these two images up and just go ahead and have them. You are salt and light. Um, if you look at the way the verses are written out, remember we talked about this being emphatic. This is important in this, uh, into what Jesus is saying. So it's emphatic and it's restrictive. In other words, the text is essentially saying with that word you right at the beginning of it. That's right, you. That's the emphatic. That's right, even you. The second thing is restrictive. That's right, only you. Only those of you who've apprenticed yourselves to me can have the impact of the kingdom. Something has happened to you that makes you as valuable as salt and light in everyday life. So the everyday lives of people are dramatically affected by sin. Our emotions, our minds, decisions, relationships, pursuits, the words we say, anger, selfishness, pride, our envy, our greed, all these things on a daily basis ruin people. There's just no way to hold back all its forces. They work against us every single day. We can't even fly together right now. And Jesus says, I want to bring some resources to your life that can help push back some of that evil that's at work in human beings. Alter, change, redirect, heal some of the deep inner workings and mechanisms of our life, like how you actually operate every day. And the whole sermon is about what it looks like to live your life every day. All the everyday dynamics of your existence, what it means to live with morals, to have meaning, to value people to treat them uh, a certain way even when they hurt you, to assess yourself, your values, change your ambitions and your hopes, how you speak, how you view your circumstances, how you make decisions, manage emotions, relate to society and authority, handle sex and money. It's all in here because Jesus expects that life in the kingdom will affect every single one of those. I'm going to get into your bedroom, your bathroom, your workplace, your office, the street, your attic, your car. Oh, God, not in the car. This is everyday stuff, and it is this everyday stuff that is literally wrecking human lives. And destroys me. 
There's enough everyday stuff to ruin me and others. C.S. Lewis in, in uh, Mere Christianity, uh, the last few chapters after the chapter on the Trinity is, really gets down to some nitty-gritty stuff on the Christian life worth your time if you haven't read it in a while. But he says this about Christianity. He says, uh, that is why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking the other point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on. And then he says, all day, all stinking, I added, stinking day. Because it's every day. He says, standing back from, this is a great line, by the way. I haven't been able to get it out of my head all week long. It's just been living in there. Standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, what he calls coming out of the wind. We can only do it for moments at first, but from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system. I love that picture. Just your whole system, because now you're letting him work right, or letting him work at the right part of us, which is deep inside, and it just affects everything, even your face. Your face. How many times has your face gotten you in trouble? Just your face. You didn't even do anything. Just your face. To be attractive, you see, Jesus has to change your life in a way that affects your actual life. There was a book I came across about 10 years ago, I think it was around then, it was called The 100, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. It's written late 70, about 78. It was not easy to find. He has Jesus listed third as one of the most, of the 100 most influential people. In it, he quotes in the section on Jesus, and they're all short little chapters on each person's life. He quotes the Sermon on the Mount. He actually uses one of, one of our texts that we'll be looking at. And he writes this, Matthew 5, 43 to 44, talking about Jesus' place in this 100 influential people. He says, you've heard it, that it has been said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor, hate thy enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them who hate you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. And then he writes a few lines earlier. He says, 
Resist not evil, but whoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then he says this. These ideas, which were not part of Judaism, nor of most other religions, surely have to be considered remarkable and original ethical ideas. And if they were widely followed, I would have had no hesitation in placing Jesus first in the book. But the truth is, they're not widely followed. In fact, they're not even hardly generally accepted. Most Christians consider the injunction to love your enemy as, at most, an ideal which might be realized in some perfect world, but not one which is not a reasonable guide to conduct in the actual world we live in. We do not normally practice it, do not expect others to practice it, and do not teach our children to practice it. Jesus' most distinctive teaching, therefore, remains an intriguing but basically untried suggestion. I would imagine, I thought this really this morning, woke up with this thought in my head. If he were to write that today, I suspect Jesus would be out of the top ten. So unless Jesus actually changes your life, you have no hope of being salt and light. So the second thing, if he does change your life, and you become a kind of a salt and a kind of light, then your presence, this was the other mind-blowing truth about salt and light, your presence anywhere and any time matters. It, it will make a difference. If you are different, then wherever you are, anytime, you make a difference. You take a guy or a gal who's been changed like that, no matter where they are, they make a difference. And they have, God can use them to open people's eyes and hearts. If God actually uses us, it seems like to make us known, then everywhere we are, no matter who we're around, no matter who we're with, if they don't know who Christ is, even if they don't want anything to do with him, something amazing can happen. Just like if you added a little salt or turned on a light. It could be a school, it could be a locker room, it could be a dorm, it could be a business, it could be a Zoom call, it could be a relationship, a family gathering, it could be a team, a committee, a council, which is why we can always ask ourselves, God, why am I here right now? And I don't mean just here on earth. I mean, wherever it is you find yourself in the week. You find yourself in some crazy spots in the week, like, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing here. It might be bigger than you think. Uh, you can always ask, what are you up to? Because he's always up to something. And that's true even if you don't like where you are. Maybe you don't like where you are in life. Just don't like where I'm at. 
I don't like necessarily the neighborhood I live in. I don't necessarily like the house we have. I don't necessarily like the job I have, the roads I have to travel on to get there. may not even like a lot of the places you have to be or find yourself or you don't want to be there or you had no choice in the matter. Yeah, I didn't pick this school. I didn't pick this thing. I didn't pick that. But it's kind of fun to ask. But I wonder who in the world you might be seeking since I am here. I wonder who in the world you might be wanting to impact because I am here. I have this regular meeting at a restaurant every week, very early. I get there before it opens. And uh, there's a, a, a waitress who comes in, and she gets there about 25 minutes, or I usually beat her there. And she gets there 25 minutes before the open sign comes on. And so I'm waiting for her to turn on one light in there so I know I can come in even though it's, it's not really open yet. And she lets me in. And, uh, and we'll, we'll chat a little bit. She's, I've gotten to know a little bit about her life, and she's there every, every morning that I'm there. And um, we just start yakking for a while. After a little while, she sees some of the stuff I have with me, and she starts to ask questions. I'm in there for a meeting, so I'm preparing for a meeting that's about to happen. And my mind can sometimes get really focused on that. And she'll stop and, and ask a few questions. And it was this week that she asked a few questions that really helped me understand that I may be here at this morning for more than just what I thought I was here for. Has that ever happened to you? I, w I didn't even initiate it. It was a question she initiated that made me go, I think I have a different duty here than I thought I had. It was truly a wake-up call. Because God loves putting us in everyday situations that we can reach people. And very often it'll surprise you. I'd have never seen that coming, didn't think about it, didn't prepare for it. Uh, one of the commentaries on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the writer uh, said this, every single situation described in the Sermon on the Mount puts the disciples into the center of trouble, difficulties, and hard choices. I'm going to read that again to you. Every single situation described in the Sermon on the Mount puts the disciples into the center of trouble, difficulties, and hard choices. And I started, I, you know, when, he, when I read that, I go, oh, that sounds really good. But let me go through the Sermon on the Mount again real quick and just look at all the crazy situations that are going on in there. And I'm telling you, that's an understatement. It's nuts in there. Matthew 5 to 7, it's nuts in there. Uh, think about it. Um, 
at home, in the street, at work, in the marketplace, in a storm, in a relationship. You get slapped in the face. You got to carry a soldier's pack two miles. You got to give away a coat. Where is this guy hanging out? He's everywhere. Right? How else are you going to get slapped in the face unless you're really in a mess? Like you're in a situation. How'd you get in there? Uh, carry a soldier's pack two miles. Don't these people know how to avoid soldiers? Or to have to give away your coat. Where were you hanging out today? The sermon expects you to be everywhere and anywhere. Even choose places you wouldn't naturally go. You wouldn't want to go to it. You might not. But there you are. And you know, the truth is, talk about salt and light all day long at the end of the day. There is in us more and more, I think, a very strange urge to withdraw and disconnect from situations, people, and places. And when we are there, even be mindless of the potential to impact a life. And some of us, some of us, even feel more pious because we've chosen to stay out of it. Stay away from it all. We're too good for it. Who wants to be in that mess? Who's going to walk into that problem, that situation? We feel good about saying, not for me. Well, let's look at this verse. Just one today. Starts, if I could again, right here. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, Again, I've said it. It's a common element uh, with very common uses. First thought ought to be common folk. Whoever the salt are, they're common people. Put to use. Common people put to use. If you Google search salt, and its uses. There are thousands. Overwhelming. Uh, Anywhere from basic seasoning to medicinal purposes. Now, this would have gotten these hillsiders' attention for sure to be called salt. Salt was quite valuable in the ancient world. The Romans would say nothing was more valuable than sun and salt. Roman soldiers were often paid with salt. That's where we get our statement, worth your salt. It made food taste better and last longer. A little sprinkle or a heaping helping rubbed into meat acted as kind of an antibacterial agent. It was a preservative and an antiseptic. Fought off rot and disease. Cleansed, preserved, flavored. Made life better. Made life a little more manageable. 
What an interesting thought. They would have been dumbfounded by Jesus insinuating that they could have the kind of influence salt could have. But he was saying, as you live out your life and your values, you show people a better and healthier way to live. And I want you to permeate society by sprinkle and pours and slow the infection of evil, arrest decay, heal and spice up life. There are a lot of people in the world who find it very hard to imagine a life other than the one I described earlier, of just that dark energy inside you. I can't even imagine a life outside of that, but your presence might reveal it. Most people assume you need a certain amount of selfishness. You need, a, you need a little bit of potty mouth. You can't play golf and work construction and not have a little bit of potty mouth. You can't be a coach and not have a potty mouth. Because you need a certain amount of dirty in order to function in the world. That there's a certain kind of amount of selfishness you got to have, like when you're competing with somebody for something. There's a certain amount of sin and hatred and lies you got to tell in order for the world to work. I mean, jerks sometimes get their way. But every once in a while, you'll be around somebody, it'll hit them. But the life that I have right now is not really serving me well. So I told you a few weeks ago that I was planning to take, uh, to go to this, Gail and I were planning to go to the party in the park put on by our HOA. So we were determined um, to connect and interact with as many folks as we could, introduce ourselves, meet families, and we met about six families. It was hot as it could be. We had our granddaughter with us. Um, We introduced ourselves to everyone. We met about six families. One couple lived just a few houses down from us. Uh, There was another couple that uh, I happened to notice, and so I walked up to them, they were kind of standing alone. They were holding a baby. They were very young. And so I got up there and I introduced myself. And uh, they were kind of quiet. She was a little more talkative. She was 23 years old. He was 28. They were holding a young child. And there was a bounce house right near us, so there were two other children in there. Uh, The one they were holding was theirs together. Then she had a child of her own. He had a child of his, and the three of them were living with her parents, been together two years, and were getting married in two months. I got all this within about 90 seconds. This all came in. Uh, all of that information. I'm going, where's Gail? I need Gail. Where's Gail? Gail, Gail, Lola, I need Gail. Lola. 
And I said, well, yeah. I said, well, we're Chiafalos. We live on Maida Vale over there. Uh, she said, yeah, I know your boys. I knew your boys. And I said, uh, I'm sorry. They're better now. Um, and within a, mo- within a moment, as Gail came up, introduced herself, in a moment, there was a, just a quick, awkward silence. And she immediately looked at him and said, I'm going to say something to them right now that I hope you're going to be okay with. And so I started going, oh, no, 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 I'm going to get in the bounce house. I'm going to get in the bounce house. I'm going to get in the bounce house. She goes, you know, we're getting married in two months. We have some issues. We, we're not managing well. Do you think you could help us? Oh, I almost didn't go to the party in the park with the HOA. Because <laughs> it was so hot. I didn't even drive because I didn't think there'd be a place to park. There was. I walked. Gail had a bike. Um, who knows how God? You know, you just you know you know what you just had to be, you know what I had to do for that to happen. I just had to be there. That salt and light. You just have to you just have to be there. Uh, who knows? You might get slapped. You might have to go a second mile. You might have to give up your coat. But God might also use you to head off a disaster or prevent some pain or bring healing. Really, all it requires is just be there. So let's look at these last two lines because I think they're really important. This is just one verse, and Jesus says so much in it. What if that salt, that life, isn't salty? It becomes tasteless. And the word tasteless is actually foolish. It's the word we get more on not a word you would think would be tasteless. He's saying something with that. Because later on in chapter 7, remember he'll say, the fool is the person who builds his house on what? On sand. The wise person builds it on rock. So he's kind of saying, salty people, people with taste, live the life I'm describing. They do what I say. They give a lot of weight to what I say. And it changes their lives. But if they don't give a lot of weight to what I say, then they're tasteless. So if I'm not having this effect in my life, something's really wrong. And that's sort of the idea that comes up immediately right here. Now, commentators like to point out that salt can't lose its saltiness. It's a stable compound. Like water can't lose its wetness, salt can't lose its flavor. True. But in that culture, it would get 
diluted and polluted very easily with other stuff. It'd get mixed in with other minerals, and so it wouldn't have the effect. And of course, this isn't a chemistry lesson. Jesus isn't trying to give us a lesson on compounds here. It's a spiritual one. And the question just so just hangs here. And it's not the way it's the way it's written, it's not clear exactly how he expects you to answer the question. Very often, there are certain constructions that help you know exactly what's going on here. This question has no answer. What do you do with a guy who came down off the hill, said he wanted in the kingdom, gets in the kingdom, still talks the way he used to talk, still treats his spouse the way Still, still does this, still does that, has no taste. Put them anywhere, and they make no difference. There's no salt, no light coming from anywhere. What do you do with a guy like that? The text has no answer. It just creates a very significant dilemma. For God, for you, as a person who says, I think I know God, well, he's not changed my life, so maybe I don't know him. That's a dilemma. Or maybe for God, because now I can't use this guy in the kingdom. And how about for other people? A real dilemma for them, because they don't have anyone to turn to. They have no one showing them a different way. It's a dilemma for everybody. And in fact, Good for nothing. I was trying in my head to think about every sort of harsh thing Jesus has said to people who think they know him. I don't know that there's something that beats this. You know when you've ever been upset with somebody who's really disappointed in you? You're good for what? That is a... Ever had that said? Useless. You know, value to God. You know, value to people. Just adds up to nothing. Useless is the idea. Useless discipleship. What is useless discipleship? Some guy hanging around the Christian community whose life has not changed. Some gal who wants to be around it but doesn't want to be transformed by it. Useless discipleship. Hey, I'm just hanging out. I am not here for the Kool-Aid. I ain't drinking anything, but I'll hang out. Well, actually, you are good for one thing. To be thrown out and trampled on. He just made a harsh statement worse. And it's a violent image. It's as if Jesus is sitting there... Please don't come down off that mountain and join this group and stay the same. If you do, you just create a dilemma for everybody. 
then there's this image, and it's violent image, and you can't get around it. I can't soften it in any way. It just conveys waste, just being treated like dirt in the street. This is the same phrase that's trampled on. It's going to be used in chapter 7 when he says, when you give something good to somebody who doesn't deserve it, like a pig or a dog, and they trample on it. Well, this isn't you giving something valuable to someone and they trample on it. This is you being trampled on because you're not handing out anything valuable. Useless and worthless is in its overwhelming thought. It's one thing to be abused by the world. We covered that last week, persecution. It's another to be rejected and walked on and walked past because you don't make a difference. Because you don't stand out. I've said this to you before. Both discipleship, following Christ, and non-discipleship, not following Christ, have a price. You're either going to pay a price because you do follow them, or you're going to pay a price like this because you don't. And only Jesus could make the cost of non-discipleship sound worse than the cost of discipleship. So what gives you worse nightmares? You might be worthless to the kingdom. That people, from a spiritual perspective, would just as soon throw you out because you have no use. There's no way to minimize its meaning. It is as horrific as it sounds. For us, for the world. Because what will end up happening is they'll just throw you out and end up walking you imagine throwing away the greatest potential gift you could ever receive or walking on or walking past something so valuable because your life literally made no difference. It, it there's more punch in this verse than, than anything I've read in the Sermon on the Mount. And you can't get through the Sermon on the Mount without getting knocked around badly. So if you say to me right now, I'll just wrap this up by saying this. You know, Pete, I think my life has become a little diluted. I would be... Uh, I don't think I'm having near the impact God would really like me to be having in my life. And I think I may be more like what you said. I'd rather just not be around anybody. This is what I would say. How can it be salty again? I don't know. If, I can't answer that question. I don't. This is my best shot at it. Can you become salty again?
when we were in programming, we were thinking about some special element to do in the service today. My wife sent me a song earlier in the week, about midway through the week, maybe it was Thursday, that we could do. It's by Lauren Daigle. It's called Salt and Light. So I had never heard it before. I listened to it, and there was a twist to it because I thought it was going to be about us being salt and light, and it turns out it's not about us being salt and light. He, she calls God salt and light. You are salt and light, she says in the song. It's about how God, as salt and light, changed her life, changes our lives. How he was willing to be present in our life. Imagine God saying, too hot to walk down to that party. Too much of a mess. I got too many other things I could do today than hang out with you. The path I was on, personalize this right now, what I'm about to say. Path that I was on, maybe on now. I couldn't see where it was taking me. I didn't realize the damage my sin was doing to me or to others. I didn't have any hope of healing it, making it right, or managing the pain it was causing me or others until you came into my life. And you lit up the dark spots, showed a path I never saw. You put an end to a lot of the damaging behavior. It was damaging me. It was damaging other people. And you brought something to me, a healing kind of forgiveness, a salty healing forgiveness that acted as an antiseptic, that healed at once and kept back evil germs at the same time. And gave me a new way to live. If God was salt and light for you, are you going to sit here and say, I'm not going to be salt and light for anybody? That sounds about as absurd as salt losing its saltiness. Just bow your heads for a second. I'm just going to give you a quiet moment. Say, God, I need to do something about this. I wonder how many of you would say, right now, we don't do this a lot. Lift your hand and say, I don't have near the impact I think God could have. Let me just see your hands. I don't have near the impact I could be having. Well, today is a great day. To reflect on how God was salt and light to you. And if you're here today and you've never known him and you want that salt and light in your life, he offers it. Just come into relationship with him. Thank you, Lord, for our time, for your word. Change us. Help us to see what you've done for us so that we can be that for others. We need to be that for others, Lord. 